Hello, welcome to the Powerhouse podcast. This is uh, Leah Lechtenberg and myself, Dr. Hugh Wilborn from the Powerhouse. We offer psychological tools, philosophical insights, and emotional knowledge. Everything we teach is useful throughout your life, from building a business to enjoying your relationships. For more invitation, for more invitation, or indeed for more information about us, please go to our website at uh, www.powerhouseclass.com. I think, I think the world is full of people who are asking the right questions. That they can see that things aren't perfect, things are going wrong all around them, and they're, and they're going like, you know, how do we get this right? How do we improve, I don't know, uh, relationships uh, in my particular neighborhood? How do we get rid of crime or something like that? And that's a big question, how do we get rid of crime, right? Mm -hmm. But they are asking the right questions. The problem often is they look in the wrong place for the answers. So just Where? the other day, mm -hmm. well, often in books, or they go to universities or theories. For example, the other day, a, a friend of mine texted me and she said her friend wants to do a psychology course online. And can I help them? Can I recommend anything? Well, actually, I don't know anything about such things. I couldn't do the recommendation. But in my experience, when people ask me about that, they want to know, they want to study psychology for two reasons. One is because they want to find some answers. How can we get people to behave better? Or how can I work out how to be me? better or, of, or a combination of both right so how can I help the world is often a thing that a lot of people want to do you know I, I see this suffering in in my neighborhood or on the other side of the world and I think well that's not good I'm a privileged person so I should use my privilege to help or here I am I'm 28 I can't hold a job down and uh, and I just get hopelessly depressed and I wish I understand it could understand why that is I should study psychology so very often people who want to study that psychology, they're asking the right question. How can I either be a better version of me or how can I do something that will contribute to the common good? But nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, they get sucked up into the theoretical world of theories of human being. Mm -hmm teaching ideas of abstract notions that mm -hmm. purport to explain universals that underlie humans. Mm -hmm. And they so frequently get lost there. I mean, it's even true of people who go into politics with good intentions. They want to you know, help the working class or they want to sort things out. And we can see all around us how very, very rare it is to find a politician who really does good. I suspect many of them really wanted to, mm -hmm. but by the time they've gone through the process, they've adopted the party line, the ideology, the protocol, it all goes wrong. What's missing? It's not so much what's missing as there's too much mm -hmm. thinking, too much theory, too much protocol, too much ideology and way too many policies. We don't need all of that stuff. We keep trying to fix the future. 
like let's pass a rule so this never happens again. Mm. No, let's not do that. Let's just fix this particular problem right here and then step back. Don't write a policy that fixes yesterday's problems, which is so often what happens and then creates more problems for the future. It's more a matter of, if I can really pay attention to really all the vectors, all the forces that are happening here and now and do as little as possible just to push them gently so that the flow of life carries on in its own way, that's the best I can do. And interestingly, that's what the Balinese used to say, but their, their notion of the world was, before the Europeans came and colonized them, was that their job was to keep the world in balance, just balance things. No, not progress, not advance, not build stuff, but just put things back in balance so they still, so the world just carries on in its own sweet way. And we just stop it being unbalanced. And the, the kind of worship of progress has, has caused us to become horribly unbalanced. So it's not so much what's missing as we just need to let go of all those ideas that we can somehow have a brilliant concept or policy or party or ideology or computer that's gonna fix everything for the future and say, well, what can we do to make this little bit of the world right here, right now, more compassionate, more functional and a little bit more beautiful? Um, and a, a, a woman came to see me and she rang me on her mobile from the car. She didn't dare get out of the car and in, go into my block and come up the stairs because it just looked too scary to her. You know, she was like way too frightened. Whereas, you know, for me, I actually, you know, when I look back, I didn't really know what fear was until I was 40 something, I think. You know, I would just, I had three older brothers. One was a fighter pilot, another was a hang glider, and another was a, a speleologist who used to go caving down. So, and I rode a motorbike. So I was used to like scariness all the time, but it was kind of ordinary and I wasn't particularly frightened of it. And the first time I really thought I should be frightened, because uh, you know that's not a good way to live, by the way, if you have no fear at all, uh, you get into all sorts of very dangerous situations. So what we all need is the right amount of fear, not too much, not too little. And actually I learned to ski very late in life. I was definitely over 40 and I'd already started dancing. And for a bunch of reasons, uh, I remember going skiing with a friend and thinking, I really don't want to do, you know, that slightly icy black run because I just don't want to break my leg. Now, and I remember the first, what was really interesting was that was the first time I'd ever thought something like that. You know, I used to go around corners in motorbikes, fall off the bike, pick myself up, you know. But this was the first time I thought, I actually don't want to break my leg because I like dancing as well as skiing. So I, I just don't want that broken leg stuff. And I actually managed to learn to ski without breaking anything, which is unusual. Normally I would break things when I learn any new skill. Um, so for me, I learned fear very, very late on in life. But a lot of people start on the other end of the scale. They learn, they, they live in, inside such a comfort zone that they're just not used to going outside of it. And they need to, like I had to learn to be frightened. They have to learn to be scared. 
-hmm. because I was like scared of lots of stuff. But I just did it, you know, I just, fear never gripped me. I just had this weird sensation. I'd go and do something crazy. Um, but, but what is what is the difference between being scared and fear? Well, what I mean is that I would feel, oh, um, I don't know, the scent that the 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 physicality, the sort of the tingling, the kind of what people call fear. But I was kind of used to that, so I just carry on doing the thing, like like mm -hmm. the the famous book which says, "Feel the fear and do it anyway." Okay? Mm -hmm. So. That's kind of where I lived, you know, um, and, and many of my friends, actually, when we first started mountain biking, a friend of mine, uh, which was really when mountain biking began in Europe, a friend of mine came back from a race and said, I've, I've worked out how to do it. You basically don't use your brakes going downhill. That's why you come off with the brakes. So you just go straight down and he goes, and it's brilliant, you know, and the next weekend I saw him, he was covered in bruises everywhere, all over his face and arms and legs, because he hadn't used the brakes at all, and he just kind of wiped out totally at about 40 miles an hour. <laughs> so, you know, you learn one way or another. <laughs> but um, his, what am I trying to say is that my interpretation of exactly the same feeling was, oh, it's just that feeling again, I'm going to jump off this cliff anyway, right? Mm -hmm. Um, whereas other people are, were not used to it, uh, they go, whoa, I can't feel like that. That's way too much, you know? And of course I, I did it too much. I'm not advocating all the mad things I used to do, but equally, I'm not saying stay totally inside your feeling comfortable. You have to be able to navigate all of those feelings and work sensibly with them. Because the reality is, whatever you do, nothing will ever make you totally safe. Mm -hmm. And in fact, what we're experiencing right now is that the pursuit of safety has turned into an increasingly dangerous activity. Say that all again. Over, all over the world, there are governments and people and organizations trying to make us more and more safe, uh, safe from the COVID disease. And little by little, they're increasing the dangers, the dangers of the, the vaccines, which are, you know, maybe small, but growing the dangers of, for example, here in Vietnam, people running out of food, the dangers of misinformation, the dangers of too much propaganda. <laughs> so they're creating danger because they're pursuing safety too much. <laughs> for all of, I mean, that's a government problem, but it's also true for each of us as individuals. We have to learn to live in the zone where we're never completely safe, but we always can do something to navigate a bit better. Mm -hmm. I have one question concerning the topic you were talking before. You said there are people who have a lot of fear and they are always afraid and there are people who don't feel it at all. How do you get into the middle? Like what, is, what do you say is the right portion of being feared? Um, it varies all the time. It, it, how do you get to the right place? You have, you need three things. You need principles, you need discernment, and you need proportion. So you need okay. to, like you have a lot of, so for discernment, there's all sorts of information coming at you all the right. You know, you should be frightened of COVID. You should be frightened of heart disease. You should be frightened of obesity. You should be frightened of um, cancer, right? 
Now, what, which of those are really dangerous and what are your chances of dying from them? So obviously the really dangerous ones are heart disease and cancer and obesity is the trigger that makes all three of the, all the other ones worse. So if there's a single thing that you should worry about is, is uh, it, it, it's your weight because it, in, if you're overweight, you're more likely to die of COVID, you're more likely to have cancer, you're more likely to have heart problems. So that's your, that's your context. You're like, you have a sense of proportion. 99.95% of people under the age of 70 who get COVID are fine afterwards. It's, it's a, it is a problem, but it's just a small problem. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, obesity, uh, sorry, cancer, heart disease, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and uh, other blood um, strokes and things like that, strokes and heart attacks, those are the four major causes of death in the Western world. And, and they're completely disproportionately higher than all the other ones. Mm -hmm. So anything you can do to, to keep yourself healthy in a general way is clearly a very good way to respond to that threat. Mm -hmm. So that's around proportion. It's also around discernment, you know, paying attention now to which are the important bits of information, which are the trivial risks. I mean, for example, there's a risk when you go out uh, in the rain of being struck by lightning and killed. It's, it's such a small risk that it's kind of not worth paying attention to unless you're right next to a tree, which is liable to cause the lightning to hit you, or you're, I don't know, holding a metal pole up in the air, which would kind of be a stupid thing to do. Right? Um, so... Uh, and principles, I think they're, they really help because we kind of have to say, well, what, what do I really care about, you know? So there are really two or three principles that really help. I should be, I should be fair and I should be kind. And if, you, if you're fair and you're kind, then all the kind of isms that people worry about are no longer important, you know, like this sexism or racism or, or all of that stuff. You, you know, it, actually, you know, here's a person. How, can I treat them fairly? Can I be kind to them? You know, but obviously I have to have boundaries as well. So can I have boundaries? So I don't give away all my money and leave myself bereft. But can I treat people fairly? Well, if I treat people fairly, then all the prejudice issues, prejudice issues just dissolve. Mm -hmm. So here's somebody I'm talking to doesn't really matter what race they are or what gender they are or whatever it is. You're just like, can I have a fair dealings with this person? So, now, so that's not a, a rule that I can tell you exactly what to do next. It's a principle. So you, when you have that principle, you do your best to treat people fairly. And you get rid of enormous numbers of problems and conflicts if you use principles instead of protocols. So can you give us an example of how to connect the, the head and the heart? You said, we know a lot, but we don't really understand. How, do you, how did you get there? Gosh, that's a great question. I'm not sure I know the answer, but I think if I'm answering you, I'm answering the other question, which, which was how come all of these, these people have lots of good ideas, but they don't dare to bring them to life? Um, 
I think, to be honest, I don't think I'm a good example because I think I went backwards. I think I did a lot of very stupid and dangerous things because I had no brakes on my, my willingness to dare things. So I, <laughs> maybe I was just uh, naive, but in general, so for all of us, we, we need to connect ourselves up. Okay, here's the thing I remember once. I, when I was at university, my life was very chaotic. And I thought to myself one day, really? I don't know myself at all. I have no idea what's going on in my life. What can I say that is really true about me? And I thought about it for, I don't know, 10 minutes, half an hour. And then I thought, I know what, I know something that's really true about me. I'm clumsy. And I knew that because I'd already knocked over about five glasses of water that day. Um, so I definitely knew I was clumsy, but for the rest of it, I hadn't got a clue. I was sort of finding myself in relationships and, in, and then finding myself out of relationships with no idea why, no idea. I mean, I distinctly remember once I was with a girlfriend. We were, we were together. We just had lovely time together. And I suddenly had this belief that came into my head. It said, I must split up with this woman. It was a feeling really. And I did it because I thought in those days, I thought that, you know, love was this thing which hit you and told you what to do. And if it was true love, you just did what you were told. You know, I love you, boom, therefore you're wonderful and I must do everything to keep you happy. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what love is, right? And then on the contrary with this girl, I suddenly thought I must leave her. And I didn't question it or I didn't even talk to her about it. I just thought, oh, love's talking to me. I, I, it's finished, I've got to go. Mm -hmm. Which was just insane, but that was because I had an idea that I understood this feeling, as opposed to going, what is happening, which would be perhaps more grown up response. I just thought, oh, love has told me what to do, I must leave. Mm -hmm. Another time I was with a, a, another girlfriend and um, we were arguing, having a big, big argument and she was, she was a very bright young woman and I kind of lost my temper and I really told her all sorts of things about her character and kind of ripped her to pieces. And she, was burst, she burst into tears. And then I sat there and I thought, I don't understand what's going on. I really love this woman. And I've just basically done a psychological assassination. I, I don't know what to do with my life. This is madness. You know, I've just really attacked somebody I really love. So uh, I stopped doing that. She carried on being manipulative and uh, it all went to rats after that. I had no idea what to do. I didn't understand in any way myself, my own feelings. How did I get out of it? Gracious me. <laughs> I think there's another decade or so of chaos. Um, and uh, little by little, I found my way into, um, I did a, a load of therapy. I, I, I did some 12-step work. That was really helpful. So 12-step work, 
12 step, it's like addictions work, like mm -hmm. normally alcohol addiction, but this one was relationship addiction. So, um, and you, you basically tell stories. You tell your story and you listen to other people's stories. Mm -hmm. And you do that a lot. <laughs> you tell your story, maybe you only have two or three minutes, right? You tell a little story, you hear a story, you tell a story, you hear a story. And little by little, you kind of get a context. First thing you realize is, however horrible life is for you, somebody else had it worse, right? Mm -hmm. And then little by little, you realize, well, this kind of craziness is way more common than we think. Mm -hmm. And most of us don't understand ourselves very well. Mm -hmm. But when we tell our stories, we hear the story we're telling. And little by little, it helps us to understand ourselves. So that's why storytelling is such an important part of being with people and becoming yourself. When you hear and see or tell your own story, mm -hmm. you kind of catch up with yourself because you see what you did, but from a perspective of later. If I tell you what I did last weekend, my feelings today are not the same as last weekend. So I go, that's a bit strange what I did last weekend. You know, now I've got a another perspective on me if I do that often enough I I get a slightly better sense of me and one of the most important things I is that I discover that my ideas are frequently inaccurate and it helps a lot to pay more attention to what happens when I try to connect my head and my heart and my hips in other words the whole of me and that helps it's not mm -hmm. nothing's guaranteed but it helps to give me a better perspective on myself i have one question from what you said before um you said something like you get a you get a glimpse or feeling of i need to break up with this woman right mm -hmm. and yeah. like when do you if, if your if your body or if something tells you in your body do this do that how do you know that this is actually the for you the right thing to do so how do you learn to listen to it and not really like because it feels like you got you got the idea of i need to break up and you did it because it felt right how do you know that it's actually not right i don't i don't know um i just think it's worth being curious about it i mean i told that story because i i simply just it was almost like I did what I was told. It's like this yeah. mad voice came and said, go away. So I did without even questioning it, right? Yeah. So maybe it was the right thing to do, but I don't know. I mean, in the end, we never know. A good question is, is it good enough? Like, what's mm -hmm. the context? I, it was just a relationship at university. We didn't have kids, we weren't married. So I didn't have to worry about it in, a, in, a, in the way I would if I had a serious commitment. But how do I know what's the right thing to do? Ultimately, you never do. There is no judge which will come and say, oh, you were right then, well done, that was 100% perfect. Mm -hmm. But there's a better question, how can I make something the right thing to do? And that's by making a commitment. So if I'm with somebody and they really irritate me and I think, and I go off, like, oh, I don't want to talk to you because you're so irritating. And I walk down the end of the road and then I can say, well, okay, the rest of what we have together, is it really good? Is it worthwhile? Is there something I can do that will help me be with that irritating bit of you in a way that 
uh, I can live with? And is it worth doing it? Can I make it the right thing to do? Can I make it the right thing to do to go back and hang out with you again or whatever? And often those irritations that come up in a relationship are something to do with our own vulnerabilities. You know, there's no perfect man or woman out there. But strangely, we often end up in a relationship with somebody who every now and then just winds us up just like that, just like that. Right? There's something about their unconscious that is something to do with you as well. That's why you got together in the first place. And so when you are willing to stay with that, and one of the best things to do is say nothing for an extra minute, you know, just when you want to go, you don't do it, say nothing. Just let that particular feeling pass. And in a little while you will change and you'll think, oh, well, I don't know that I need to go there again. Or maybe there's another way to talk about this. Mm -hmm. Now, it may be that you just can't do it. Maybe that person is too irritating. Maybe you're just not ready to be committed to somebody. And that's totally fine. It's okay to, to, to not be ready. But, uh, and actually, you, there is no right or wrong in this. There's just, can I, what can I do to make the best of it? Mm -hmm. And if you really try and you really fail, you might think, well, that's a sad thing. You know, I wish I had made it work, but I didn't. So here I am. When I wrote um, Broken Heart with Paul, uh, there was a bit I put at the beginning that uh, I think my therapist had said to me, which was a quote of the Buddha. He said, um, our hearts are made to be broken because that's how they open. 